Welcome back. It's another episode of the Covered Podcast with the Utah Fraternal Order of Police. I'm Ian Adams, your executive director, surrounded by two beautiful men. Oh, boy. Here we go. No, wait, I want to hear where he's going with this. Well, first with you, Jax. That's who I'm going oh, with. Oh, yeah. You look. You got the kind of smile that tells me... I got a full a, night's sleep. That's a man who just bought a rider mower. I did. <laughs> I did. Yeah, it I was a, uh, an insisted gift from my wife. Well, she knows better. Yeah. She does know best. Don't tell us what brand unless they're paying us. No. No, we're not going there. They I won't, be. but I got it at IFA. Oh, <laughs> fancy. Sweet. Because Very it was fancy. the only one I could find in the valley. Yeah. Well, I des- you deserve every gift that comes your way as the president of this organization. So thanks for being here. Oh, thanks, Ian. <laughs> we're also joined by Brett Rossum, legal whisperer of the pod. What's going on, big guy? Oh, just happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. I have got plenty of sleep. The um, dead look in your eyes <laughs> tells me to. <laughs> what were you up so late night. dealing with? Oh, you know, just the uh, the occasional potential OICI. It uh, didn't right. manifest into one, but we were we were. We had good intel that it might. Right. So we were all on alert. That's actually a decent thing to let the members know about here is sort of what goes on in the background there. So late last night, there I am minding my own business, <laughs> like trying to keep my stomach inside my uh, abdominal cavity as the Raiders decided to continually try to lose a game. And uh been a rough week for you in football, hasn't it? Can we not? Let's not. <laughs> let's not yet until... I need to get a little more depressed before you stomp on me completely by oh, reminding me of the, sorry, how the Cougs somehow pulled Outplayed. off their once in a decade win. Outplayed. Good, good work. I have to, I have to wear it was a, good game. a BYU shirt to class, to teach class at the U now because I lost that bet. So mm. that'll be fun. I'm so old. I remember it was easy beating the U. <laughs> I remember yeah. taking those L's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My uh, yeah, it's been my, a good decade for you guys. My oldest daughter and her uh, husband uh, went to BYU. He just graduated, and uh, it occurred to me like they were like twelve last. I mean, <laughs> they they may not have known these colleges existed at the time. The last time that BYU was able to pull out. Oh yeah, ever shed me the comment about you know now I have a a son a ten year old son that, <laughs> that's funny that seen has it. seen it happen you know in well, his lifetime it was kind of funny we were uh you were there right yeah yeah we got uh we got season tickets and we had some we had some Utah fans behind us and and the thing I liked about this game was there didn't seem to be the the animosity the nasty, the yeah. nasty right. stuff I mean everybody was pretty cordial and, and our seats are right across from the the visitors section right and uh, at the end of the game, this uh, this lady and her daughter were were sitting there, and you know, and and other fans around them were you know telling the daughter. I mean, she was she was probably nine, ten years old. Yeah, they were like, "Hey, that was a that was a good game. You guys played really hard. You know, this is yeah, you know, just lying to, to her, lying, lying to her because we did not yeah. play well. Yeah, I'll agree with that. <laughs> and uh, and I turned to her and I said, "It's been a while. Is this what it feels like?" And she's like, yeah, this is what it feels like. I'm like, huh. Okay, I could I could get used to this. I think yeah. I wonder if it's um I mean totally off topic from this podcast. We don't usually cover sports, but the um I like the Holy War generally because it it when it goes right, it brings whole together like the entire state is interested in one game right. for one moment, right? That's kind of cool. Yeah. It can go wrong and it has in the past with animosity, but maybe 
giving BYU a win once every 10 years. <laughs> giving them. And letting us take wow. our, our God-given right to oh, the other nine boy. wins. Oh, wow. <laughs> kind of tamps down on that. Hey, it's like nobody... You know what was interesting, though, was, was getting to the stadium and seeing how many families were were split. split. Oh yeah. Totally. You know, it was and in fact there was a there was a little kid with a Utes jersey and a and a BYU hat mm. and everything. And it was like it was That's cute. frequent. I was yeah. I was like oh. it's like when a Catholic and a, a, a Jew marry, right? Like <laughs> like the, the kids become Catholic Jews. It's like, yeah. It's it's the same Where thing. A mass. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing here. You got little purple kids. It's not not quite red, not quite blue. Yeah, yeah, it was it was funny. It was a it was a good game. We had a uh, a phenomenal downpour. Yeah, you guys did. So right? It was like it's been nice weather though. Uh, yeah, such... it was it was very pleasant. The uh, the memorial tribute was fantastic. Was oh, the steps the, uh, they walked the steps. Well, they walked the steps, but then the uh, they brought uh, both bands down mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. they did this big massive tribute. Uh, obviously, the game happened on nine eleven. Right. And I'm, I, I want to think they were F-22s that did the flyover, hmm. but man, they they had to have cleared the stadium by like 20 feet. <laughs> yeah, I mean it That's was awesome. I mean it was impressive. I've seen, I mean I've seen flyovers, and I've seen, yeah. you know, when we had those F-16s fly by us last week. Right. It was it was better than that. I mean the planes, you see them come. They barely, they were probably you know, sure. higher than I think, but it was it was low, and man they. They hit and they were gone, and then the echo, or yeah. and then the sound came, and it was just this. It was awesome, and to, and to see the entire stadium, and it was packed. Yeah. You know how long it's been since I've seen that stadium packed, like standing room only. <laughs> right. Um, good to see. Yeah, it was just it all was the, good that everybody was there. <laughs> everybody was, yeah, all the social distancing on the field afterwards. <laughs> yeah, outside, inside. Yeah. Well, so. Um, yeah, so cool. I, I took that L early in the week, and then I like the Raiders, so I'm, I've been waiting all, all week for Monday Night Football. And the texts started rolling in that, like, hey, heads up, there's an active shooting of some sort in progress down south near Cedar. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all we got, multiple agencies. Um, like eight. Like eight <laughs> agencies, and that's what we got. And, like, that's enough to kick off, from my perspective, the legal plan, right? So mm-hmm. I immediately let Brett know, hey, um, we've got multiple agencies down there. Well, and if nothing else, just because, you know, the, the remoteness of some yeah. of these places, the distance, right? you can't just wait for it to happen right. to make, you know, critical decisions. So some of our listeners and members have never seen the legal plan in action, but this is, you shouldn't be mistaken that it's not working um in events where you just didn't see the attorney. Because in the background, what was happening is we immediately dispatched a lawyer, one of our attorneys who happened to be in, in St. George, like, get in the car now, put on your big boy pants, like, go to start getting up there to the scene. We don't know where the scene is. We just know it's north of you. Um, we don't, the suspect is still outstanding. He's still firing at officers right now. And that, that lawyer got in his car and started driving towards the scene happily. In the meantime, we've got multiple agencies involved. There might be multiple shooters. Like, there's a lot of what ifs here. So, Ross, what would you guys do to sort of prepare for that? Well, thankfully, uh, we have some very talented members out there. I, I was, and I'll just give a shout out to him. Yeah. Uh, Kerry Stricker should. Um, had mentioned years ago, he mentioned, hey, you know, if you ever have something, um, 
I don't care how far, you know, if it's in the state, let's get you an airplane. Yeah. And, um, and I remembered that last night cause I'm thinking how in the world am I going to get, you know, two or three more attorneys down uh, to this part of I-15. Right. In, in the appropriate amount of time. Right. You know, right. Right. And so um, I reached out to him and, you know, he, he very uh, graciously, you know, he he was like, absolutely. Let's uh, started looking for an airplane and uh, found one and it was on standby, ready to roll. That's awesome. Yeah. So we were prepared to put multiple uh, legal re- lawyers, legal resources, their people to lawyers uh, mostly. <laughs> down there. Um, should it go wrong? And uh monitored the situation all night. I think it resolved around 1230 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, uh, uh, more importantly, I'm sure for the listeners, the Raiders went to overtime and beat the Ravens, <laughs> although it wasn't easy. Uh, Very important. And the um, JSOG, I think, got co- called out, mm-hmm. went down there, um, managed to get the suspect into custody safely without police firing. Right. So we put a lot of legal resources, though, on standby, ready to roll, um, not even on standby, like some are going right at, during this time, um, just to make sure that our members, should they need it, would have their their legal representative there immediately. So that's pretty impressive. Like that's not something I think most people realize we're thinking about. Like how do we get, like if we have the apocalypse kick off down in, um, in Salt Lake City or Salt Lake County, it's one thing, right? We got attorneys that can be there right now. Right. How do we do that in JUAP? How do we do that in Beaver? How and it, it's been a combination of, you know, technology and, um, you know, willingness to just jump in the car in the middle of the night. But, you know, as we get busier and the membership grows um, and, you know, the demand is there to have, you know, the airborne capacity is right. fantastic. You well, know? and that's one of the reasons we have an attorney who's down in St. George who's right. part of the practice, right? So that's right. that he can get there. Um, yeah. That gives us at least some multi-direction lawyers coming into the, those scenes. So um, it's impressive. I, I don't think that's something we could have done 10 years ago. Well, right. in fact, the attorney down in, based down in St. George, his name is Nick McKean. And he was a, he's a retired FBI agent who, he was a, an attorney and then became an agent, uh, spent most of his time in the San Diego field office where he was the, basically the attorney for the field office. Hmm. Um, but he was also a, a field agent. He's also one of the, one of the most badass guys that I've ever, yeah, that I've ever met. Hmm. He actually has a letter of discipline from the FBI <laughs> for firing a weapon that was not authorized by the FBI. Right. Now the story that goes into that is that he happened to be embedded with some special military teams in, in the middle of Iraq, some, wasn't it? Some yeah, yeah, I think it was, and they're. Uh, they they came under fire and he took the opportunity uh, because to, of some, to return some fire <laughs> to return some fire with uh, something other than his FBI issued Glock or SIG right. or whatever they're carrying at the, at the time. Here's your seven Glock seventeen. And, Good luck. And his uh, his prior military service gave him the expertise to know what to what to do and how he, he to commandeered do it. a weapons platform as <laughs> yeah, a significant weapons platform. Yeah. And uh, and engaged, and he happily he happily took the letter. Um, <laughs> Sometimes you got to. Uh, Sometimes you got to. He said it was it was the newness of him being an agent that he was like, man, I you know we were just involved in this in this cluster. I I probably ought to tell somebody. Right. And he goes, that was the first mistake. <laughs> Learned my lesson. <laughs> Learned my lesson. He you goes gladly what? took the letter, but 
uh, when when you talk to him, he comes off very unassuming. I mean, he's just kind of this gentle old grandpa. But uh, uh, he's, I'll tell he's you an what, American hero. He for sure. is. He, he's a phenomenal guy. Well, that's smart kind of, and just. They they would they didn't need him, but they would have been lucky to have him, right. and uh, we're glad it resolved the way it did. But again, because of the distances on this one, we felt like we needed to respond. Yeah. Well, I'm glad everybody came out okay. I understand there was a lot of shots fired by the suspect towards officers. Yeah. Um, that's always scary, um, and you know we get lucky uh, because we're skilled, and, we, and, and those guys train constantly to to survive that exactly that sort of thing. So yeah. those, uh, especially those more rural parts of the uh, state, man, they got to deal with a lot. Um, and this is not we we just had one of these down in Juab, right? Like right. earlier in the year, um, and and I had to give a shout out to our uh, our. Friends of the uh, order, the, our federal prosecutors here, Steve Nelson and Stuart Young up in uh, the federal office here, who just recently filed uh, very good charges against the man who was involved in that. Remember, he's the one that mm. they pulled over. Uh, he ends up getting an AR somehow, steals a steals an officer's car, ends up shooting two civilians, I believe. Mm-hmm. Three. Three civilians. Yeah. Um, and this is a guy who is just months earlier involved in trying to kill police officers in Minnesota. Correct. And, uh, out of Brooklyn park. And because of all the nonsense there and the lax approach to law and order, he was released. So that's somebody who should have been in prison already or in jail already awaiting charges to go to prison and wasn't. And so when people sort of like are, are viewing the landscape of, of criminal justice across the United States, it's tempting to say, well, that's their problem, right? It's not always their problem. It can become our problem. There's citizens in, in Juab who got shot by a high-powered rifle unnecessarily that day, not because of anything Utah police did, but because of something that the criminal justice system in, in, in Minnesota near Minneapolis wasn't able to do. Did you see the, uh, I believe it was in the Desert News yesterday, uh, retiring U.S. Marshal Matt Harris from the District of Utah lambasted our criminal justice system. Wow. And specifically our, our friend down the road. And, you know, along those same lines yeah. of what's it going to take before. Right. It has real mm-hmm. consequences. When you when you leave somebody like that who, in Minneapolis, I, I'll, I'm having a little bit of fuzzy detail here. Things are running together. But I believe it was in like a parking lot. And he was firing multiple rounds at police officers right. up there. Attempted homicide. It's it's only through you know the greatest luck and, and grace in the world that we didn't have dead cops up there. And that guy is the one you're going to let out to come travel to Utah and continue to spread hate and discontent. Well, when they came when he came to Utah, he found out how we handle that. And the U.S. Attorney's Office here has filed uh, charges now to hold him on. I mean. He, he'll go to prison for the rest of his life. Yeah, okay. so he should be. Which, which is where he should be. So right. thanks to um, the hardworking prosecutors we have here, I know that they don't always, they're not in the limelight a lot. So, right. um, and that, I know that took a lot of work to put those charges together. So well, thank it's you. because they're not glorious defense attorneys that they're not in the limelight. <laughs> <Yeah>, defense attorneys. <laughs> yeah. The other thing to last night and even, even in other incidents is that we've, we've seen some exceptional professionalism and not just from the, Cops out on the field, but we've had quite a few chiefs and sheriffs step up and make uh, make good calls, good sound decisions, um, taking advice, you know, things like that. I think we've uh, we've come a long way in that in that field. We've got, I mean, we still have some 
knuckleheads in those top positions. But by and large, I think we're I think we're making some good headway, and with the the Chiefs that are that are coming into position now that have come up through the through the ranks, I I think they deserve a, a shout out for the good stuff that they're doing. You know, I'm, what I'm excited about is you know we talked about this years ago that you know once upon a time we were a smaller FOP and we've been recruiting and you know a decade's gone by and sooner or later these young FOP members turn into old administrators right. and we're we're kind of seeing that now yeah. we're starting to see um and I like it I do because too. they know what we stand for they know why we do what we do and um they're not opposed to much of what we do so right. it's not I, I'm finding it now nearly as acrimonious as yeah. time goes by there's a couple things going on there one is we've matured as a as an organization our well, approach to things our resources you have um, physically, yeah, no, <laughs> don't let it fool you. Um, I just got fatter, but uh, we've been successful, right? So there, there have been contentious issues around what labor law says, and we've had a certain point of view ten years ago that was not necessarily um, adopted by other stakeholders in that system, including chiefs and sheriffs, and so there had to be this sort of shaking out period where the courts got to get involved and say you're wrong here. FOP and you're right here and like it's reset a lot of the like underlying structures that we um, understand how to help our members best right so as that's occurred there's a, a, a new board essentially that we're playing on and everybody understands the rules better and it, it just helps everybody and then on top of that we are the only organization in the state that really has had experience with OICs line of duty deaths across every imaginable jurisdictional boundary that exists, right? And so uh, this just happened, what, uh, two weeks ago, right? We had an officer shot, a good friend of, of, yeah. of the order, was the president down there. Just a great guy. Great guy um, on a, a warrant service, and, and he got shot, and, and thank God he's alive today and, and healthy and walked out. Uh, what, he's a warrior. He's a warrior. Oh, yeah. And, um, but that was the first time that agency has had an officer shot in the line of duty. And so... We are the natural resource like, hey, you know, is there something that we can help with? Is that where can we help your agency best um, as they get through these next steps? We've seen it, um, unfortunately, like one of the things I don't like dealing with, but I'm honored to do so is line of duty deaths. And there's um, agencies out there that have never had a line of duty death. And, and so when it comes to how do you plan that, organize it, what are the traditions that we need to observe? Um, how do we get that done? The mechanics of getting that done. We are often the ones um, that can provide that, like that continuity of expertise and, and experience that's important in those in the hardest moments that agencies face. So, at the end of the day, despite us being a labor organization that has, you know, certainly been aligned against the interests of some of these same stakeholders historically, today I think it's much easier to perceive ourselves as members of one community, right? Well, and we're we're full service. And, yep. and that's the thing is that uh, some organizations are good at one thing or another, but right. but we've really tried extensively to be to be that full service to where it's whatever your need is. Right. We you know, and that capacity is going to continue to grow as we get as we yep. get bigger. Well, um, yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks for the, the work of the law firm. It's it's always stunning to me what we can pull together so quickly uh, because of the expertise there. And welcome to Nick to the I don't think we've. Uh, 
really given Nick a shout out before, and, and he's been around for a minute. But I should probably add that uh, attorney J.C. Jensen offered to parachute into the scene in uh, scuba gear, if yeah, needed. and a reverse speedo. Yeah, so we don't just deploy the J.C. net unnecessarily, though. No. Like it's dangerous for everybody. You got to be selective. On yeah, that one. you got to yeah. make sure the landing. Zone is clear. Right. He was dressed and, and ready at the airport. Well, yeah. undressed. <laughs> in, a, yeah. in, a, in a jumper. Yeah, that doesn't... <laughs> it's impressive. Uh, it's impressive to see. You think you know what JC's going to look like in a singlet. You don't. And then he shows up and you're like, oh, that's... Uh, that's Brigham Young in a singlet. Wow. <laughs> Did not see that one coming. So thanks to JC. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. I think it's important we talk about COVID and vaccinations and mandates and the FOP and all that fun stuff. Oh yeah. I think it's important to our listeners to understand that like there's a spectrum that's going on here in approaches from different labor organizations, please specifically, well, there's there's a diversity of opinion among labor organizations broadly that's going on nationally. But then more importantly probably for us is like how are um, national police organizations handling this? How are FOP organizations handling this? And and then Finally, how is the Utah FOP handling this? So um, I think it would be helpful, though, as, as context. I understand the National FOP put out a statement today, this morning. It's uh, uh, September 14th. Um, so what was that statement and how do you sort of read it? Uh, so the statement was basically um, we encourage vaccines. We've had we've had over to date, we've had over 600 officers across the country that have that have died from COVID. Right. Um, which, which just to pause for a second, far outstrips all other sources of, uh, lethality, right? right? Like far. Right. And then when you consider like where our attention normally goes in, in, when we're talking about line of duty deaths, it's usually around felonious deaths and, and violent death. And, and that's a, a tiny minority compared to the number of deaths that, that COVID is causing. So right. that's good background to know. And so the, uh, it was followed up with, look, we, uh, the national FOP recognizes the value in, in vaccinations. We encourage it. But at the same time, we also adamantly defend the individual right to decide what, what goes into your body. And that uh, we will use every resource that we have at our disposal to fight to make sure that those rights aren't, aren't uh, infringed on. Um, and, it, and it's really the same... The same tone that that we've taken is, you know, we've in, we've encouraged it. Um, the The data on it is is continuing. In fact, we were talking about this in the as we were on our way into the beautiful Podmill Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about the uh, the head of research and development for Pfizer that uh, that wrote an article last year where he was talking about. Hey, any, anybody that says that they've got this virus figured out, they don't. It's it's constantly evolving. We're constantly learning new new things, and I think people need to need to take that into account. Um, and basically, what it comes down to is that consult with your doctor, consult with the person that you have trusted that you that you're paying to give you medical advice, and see what they say. My doctor told me. Don't take it for at least the first six months. And I said, okay. And she looked at me and she said, I'm serious. At least six months. And I said, okay. So I waited. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I, uh, and I happily waited. 
Um, there are there are other doctors that are like, you know, get it, get it, get it, get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the it's the wonderful thing about living in this country, you know, the the we have the freedom to do a lot of things, and we don't have the freedom to do a lot of things. Um, that's mind, a, that's mind blowing for some people mm-hmm. that we don't have the freedom yeah. to do a lot of things. Well, and, and it's true. Ian, uh, Ian talked about it yesterday in a in a class, and I thought it was a a, a really good analogy. Mm-hmm. And you you brought up something that I had a legal term that I hadn't heard, heard of, and equal, so equal protection. No, no, no. The I want to start throwing stuff at you here in a second. Um, no, the other thing about the you know can a man and woman walk down the oh intermediate scrutiny. Intermediate scrutiny, which is yeah. So the the broader point there is that I try to work into my lectures on constitutional <clears throat> policing, which I give both to police recruits and to members of the public, right? Like students at the University of Utah. I teach a, a introduction to criminal jurisprudence there, and I give the nearly identical lecture because it's important to understand it, like in the context of both rights and responsibilities and restrictions, and so. I think it's easy. I'm not a lawyer. And like, I shouldn't be teaching constitutional law. And I don't. You're the best one to teach it. But what I do is I set it up as a question of like why we have a constitution, right? And then who it's putting restrictions upon. And then ending with, as I go through the Bill of Rights, where are some potential places where this can't be read as as an explicit right, right? Is it or 100% concrete right? And so I put this in the context of the 14th Amendment, which promises equal protection of all laws. And is that true? Is it true that we have equal protection of all laws? Well, this is why we have courts. This is why we pay courts big money, because the courts have developed tests over the last, since uh, 1868, when the 14th Amendment was passed, um, in order to see whether, like, the, on balance, that test, that, that protection is being met. For example... In most places in this country, men and women cannot both equally walk shirtless down the street. Doesn't that run against the 14th Amendment? And the courts would say, well, no, because when it comes to issues of sex and gender, we're going to apply something called the intermediate scrutiny, right? The level of of scrutiny. And this is different than the lower level of rational and the higher level of strict. It's intermediate. It's in the middle. And And it's asking like, okay, so this thing that the the government is trying to accomplish is it does it in fact have that rational basis that the rational basis test is trying to get at but then also is this like the least restrictive means of getting there right is this is this an because you're applying something unequally between the sexes right and so um and in that case the courts have pretty consistently ruled that that is in fact a pretty light restriction um based upon sex differences it's it's explicitly based on sex differences I did get a notice that I'm also banned from going shirtless down the street. So. Well, you know, it's interesting that you're you're referencing the uh, the 14th Amendment. The, the 14th Amendment uh, came into play in um, an important, I would call it the seminal vaccination case mm-hmm. in 1905. And I've mentioned that on the show before. Yeah, about um, a year ago. Like we started talking yeah. about this issue. I just want to remind everybody here. I remember talking about this in October 2020. Right? Yeah. As the vaccine yeah. had just been announced and we started right. to talk about like, I, we immediately were clued in like, well, what does that mean? Could it, should 
and could and what are the implications of the government mandating this at both right. the broader population level and in policing specifically. And you mentioned this case. Yeah, this this Jacobson v. Massachusetts case uh, out of 1905 was a smallpox case. Now, as I talk about this, the caveat is, um, you know, if you're a libertarian, mm-hmm. you know, maybe light, uh, right-leaning like, mm-hmm. like I tend to be, yep. um, prepare yourself. Yeah, it's hard to read, huh? It is. And, you know, especially if, if like me, you're one of these people that is, uh, you know, consistently a little bit, um, well, I, I wouldn't say that I distrust the government, but I, but I always like to verify, yeah. you know, what I'm that's hearing. A, that's from. a Reaganite. Trust but verify. So um, here is what happened. So Jacobson was fined. Five dollars in nineteen uh, between nineteen oh one and nineteen oh five, when there was this smallpox epidemic in Massachusetts. Uh, five dollars at that time, uh, you could purchase uh, a firearm like a rifle mm-hmm. or a toothless horse. You know, it's called I mean, it a five hundred dollar fine. Or something. <laughs> it, it, it was it was a lot of money. Yeah. Okay, and um, and he challenged it, and uh, particularly he challenged it under the 14th Amendment, arguing that um, we have the right to live and work where we will. And using that argument, you know, we should not be forced into those things that would, would uh, you know, take away from our uh, fundamental right, um, basically, to not have things happen to us uh, imposed by the government uh, mm-hmm. against our will. Right. And Justice Harlan on the court used an analogy Um, And I'll call it a draft analogy, but let's let's uh, listen to what he said. He said a citizen may be compelled by force, if need be, against his will and without regard to his personal wishes or his pecuniary interests or even his religious or political convictions to take his place in the ranks of the army of this country and risk the chance of being shot down in its defense. It is not, therefore, true that the power of the public to guard itself against imminent danger depends in every case involving the control of one's body upon his willingness to submit to reasonable regulations established by the constituted authorities under the sanction of the state for the purposes of protecting the public collectively against such danger. So in other words, no, you don't have the right in every circumstance to not be forced by the government to do certain things that are of a defensive nature to the collective whole. Right? And didn't and I understand? Did I understand that right? That it that he was re- referencing military service. He's he, using that as a as a backdrop. He's saying, yeah. "Look, in some cases, this country can require your death, and you must, as a citizen of this country, show up willingly. Yeah, or we will imprison you. We will fine you." And so if that's if we can do that in times of emergency, right, then in times of like a medical emergency, such as a, a, a virus that's ravaging the population, we have another collective action problem here, then the, the, the country can also take that relatively less intrusive step, right? It's less intrusive for the government to force a vaccine than it is to force military service. The difficulty in this case, I, w- I would say, is that they didn't really do a great job defining emergency. What's an emergency, right? And, and he goes on, uh, Harlan <clears throat> goes on to talk about there are exceptions. He says, we're not inclined to hold that the statute establishes the absolute rule that an adult must be vaccinated 
if it be apparent that it can be shown with reasonable certainty that it is not at the time a fit subject of vaccination. In other words, if you have a medical condition yeah. that would lead arguably to your you know, injury or death, mm-hmm. we're not going to make you do it. Sure. But, you know, absent something like that, and, and you know, I, I think that subsequent uh, courts have said that, you know, religious exceptions are yep. uh, potentially acceptable um, uh, as an, you know, anyway. Well, and at the time in 19, in the early 1900s, there was no religious exemption, I don't believe, right. for the draft. Not, not, so he even says yeah, in his opinion, he says, you know, even against your religious and pecuniary interests. Right, right. So, uh, it, it, Understand that's been that that law has been shaped in and molded since. Right? Yeah, and there was a subsequent 1922 case that applied right. to the states, and yep. you know the point is, and again, cover your ears if this is offending your civil libertarian sensibilities. Or open your brain, or open your too. brain, because there, you don't have this right. absolute right that you no. think you have, and and the cases that I expect now that uh, Biden has done what he's done this past week, mm-hmm. um, I, I expect there will be many thousands of cases filed yep. in the U.S. I expect very few of them to see the light of day at SCOTUS. Yep. So that's excellent backdrop. Like what, you, what you've heard, just to recap. So, Jax, you gave sort of a, um, uh, a recap of what the national FOP is saying, which is, look, we encourage you to get the vaccination. However... Um, we are standing against the mandate. So that's sort of a, a principled approach. Um, the national uh, FOP is also speaking across a nation in which it represents 300, nearly 70,000 officers in various right. contexts, contexts including right-to-work states and uh, union-friendly states with contracts, right? And then, Rawson, you gave a really good recap of sort of like, listen, the underlying legal landscape here is mostly known and it's been known for some time that in fact the courts do believe from a from a constitutional perspective that in times of emergency however you define that but i would i would um extend the offer that we're probably in it no no matter how you define emergency a a large scale uh, uh, virus that's (coughs) killing people the courts are going to interpret i'm not asking whether you think it's an emergency i'm saying the courts are probably going to buy the argument that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people um, dying and or suffering. Well, except for I think that's where the I think that's where the the problem is going to come in. And I think that's where the problem is for on on a variety of scales that it's this comparison of of smallpox and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the numbers that it was killing. I mean, and let's look at let's look at smallpox. Right. Hold, know, on. We were, Hold on one second, because actually I, I don't want to go down that path quite yet. I, I understand okay, what you're, well, I'm not offering an opinion of no, what no. I think is a defense of, of an emergency and or you. I'm not even offering a definition. I'm, you can disagree with me, but I think the courts in no, the but that's end what that's are what going saying. to say that a, that a pandemic counts. That, but that's the, that's the very thing that I'm. You think that, that the I'm courts saying. will not think that the pandemic. What counts. I'm saying is that a number of the challenges that have already been filed are that this comparison of the smallpox. Mm-hmm. And the comparison of COVID mm-hmm. are apples and oranges. Maybe, yeah. and that's and that's the point is that the, the that's the getting death a little rate, that's getting a little too concrete though, right? Like we're at that point, you're asking the courts to to weigh only smallpox against the, what we're currently seeing. Whereas I anticipate the courts will take a broader read of this, 
lawyers get involved where where necessary here. Right, but, but I, the courts about, are going to see this as a question of I'm, like broader. I'm what I'm saying is that there's there's a lot to this. There there's is a lot to this, and and this is where it it uh, where we have to be where we have to be careful because regardless of how I feel about it or mm-hmm. what I think. The you know I have I have personal opinions on origin and method and everything like that. Um, I think a lot of the problems that we're having is the distrust in what comes out of the government's mouth. Sure, but yeah, like I mean, and, and so and, and, and so informing exact, yeah. informing that. And, but we're never going to have the conversation we need to have, Jex, if we're worried about like all those other like those are pre legal determination questions about opinion and or underlying motive, right? But they're the facts. They, and, they may and, be. and those facts, you know, we right. have to identify the facts and the and the are the facts true. And this is part of the problem, you know, in the minds of many in this nation. Why this is so polarizing, even within our own membership, um, is because I mean, there's even a question of is this a pandemic? Right. Just start there. Okay. And you know, and the reason, and to some that sounds incredible. Yeah, it sounds incredible to me. Yeah, but but remember, you know. There are other diseases and there are dangerous diseases and diseases that um, have absolutely impacted millions of people worldwide. Um, You know, that we have uh, years with the uh, swine flu Mm -hmm. that uh, I mean, my own cousin died from the swine flu. Right. You know, way before there was COVID, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it impacts people. It impacts millions of people. We don't shut down schools. We don't shut down businesses. We don't. We don't force vaccinations, you know, so there's this question of why this, why now? Mm-hmm. And and I don't think that we can ignore that aspect or argument. There are, there are, the point is within our membership, we have people that do not accept that this is a pandemic that is, um, that, that has been defined as such and, it, and, you know, overriding these personal liberties that we hold dear you know well and and that's real but let me follow up on that really quick and then i promise i'll i'll defer Mm -hmm. this goes in in my mind what the what the courts do the courts are going to do and the arguments are what they are and and sides but what happens to our membership when an administration whether it's this one or a subsequent administration does what uh what australia is doing you know with basically concentration camps for the unvaccinated Mm -hmm. You know, the I would I get and, and I have that, you, concentration camps are a little strong. Well, oh, we've done it me, before. Yeah, yeah, we have. I mean, and, we and had those internment camps. Yeah, you know, yeah, was, internment camps. I mean, I've got uh, one of my best friends in high school. His grandparents ended up here in Utah because they were right. They were rounded up because they were Japanese and and stuck up in Ogden. Right, and then they but we don't the, do that. Today. They love the mountains and. Well, we don't do we that. Don't do we don't that do that currently. today. But what circumstances can you imagine where we might? I mean, the, the whole point of this is the slippery slope concern. When does the pushback and start? Where and, exactly? And where, is it, and where is it logical to? But the point is, we're three you guys know. in this room having you know an interesting debate about and and, and I can argue both sides of this. Right. And Me I too. frankly got vaccinated. Right. So you know, I. even though I. I don't want to be made to do anything. I think that's clear. I I think. This is the trouble with even discussing this because I got about 30 seconds into the posing the legal question and the rationale that will be used by the, those who want it, right? Those who are going to argue for mandates, I gave you the rationalization. And before I could get to the next step, 
you jumped you jumped in yeah. you well, jump into it to say F- well you yeah, and we yeah, hate you yeah but this yeah but that and and, and like this, this, this is a fires. this is a template for what is happening it nationwide is. and but we can do better and so because it's just three of us who know each other well and have frankly pre-argued this in in, in uh well I'm, I'm actually more libertarian like it offends me when i hear that when i hear that case yeah and i i i, I understand the implications of it i get a little bit careful, right? I'm yeah. like, I, I can see, I'm not a dumb guy. I can yeah. see the slippery slope arguments. Right. I can see that sort of thing. My suspicion though, is that at least in the intermediate courts, we're going to see courts that are willing to grant, whether we think or not, that, that it is an emergency. So like, let's play law school. And I'm going to just say, assume it is. Assume okay. the courts assume, gotcha. say, fine. Well, it's an emergency. I have PTSD. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> Under that definition, it's very, very likely that the courts will also say the logical extension of it is an emergency. It is like this big community emergency. Therefore, yes, the courts will say there's probably a mandate that's that's right. constitutional. That's and all. I, and I happen to agree that that's where it goes. And I happen to agree that the anti-vaxxers lose. Yes. And that yeah. we will. So it, these mandates I don't disagree will be held <laughs> constitutional. Yep. As much as many of us don't like right. that. And so that's now putting it that's there. all I wanted to get out, right? Is that should the courts accept that but they still want to punch you in the face? They will yeah. say <laughs> now that that's at the broad population level, right? What we just described is what the courts might, what two of us at least think will happen and third agreed will happen at the population level. Now the question is, okay, are your rights expanded or restricted as a servant of that state as a member oh, of the gee. state apparatus right would you say your rights got expanded or restricted well here's what's interesting about that is that unlike you know perhaps the common citizen that um, can uh, during a lockdown yep. stay in their homes right um, make the choice to you know social distance and uh, no not go out into the public and spread dangerous germs or, right. or receive them um, we as law enforcement officers don't have that luxury. Exactly. And in fact, we are compelled by the state to go in and look and see and touch and, and participate, uh, in ways that other people are not necessarily compelled to do unless you happen, for example, to be a nurse right. or a doctor yeah. or another first responder, you yeah. know? And so I think, I mean, to answer my own question, cause that's, I like to pose questions. I know the answers to. Um, when you sign up to be a cop, to make, to make it very concrete, you do give up constitutional protections in a lot of areas. Right. Um, one of them is speech that everybody kind of understands, but there's others. Uh, the, the freedom of association is certainly limited. But interestingly, you volunteered to do it. Right. And, and that, that goes back to this, the real difficulty I personally have yeah. when the government um, is saying to anybody, and now 100 million Americans you don't have a choice here. Yeah. And I don't think we need to take a position as an as an organization. Let's put this in in terms of the FOP. We don't need to take a position on population level mandates. Right. But what we do need to really think de- deeply about and we have and so I'm not like springing something on you that we haven't thought about. How do we think this is affecting it? like how should a mandate come down? What are we going to do for our members? Right. And so here's the answer, because I want to actually make this as public as possible. I want our members to know. Yeah. Number one, it is the considered judgment of the uh, executive board of the FOP 
that mandates are unlikely at this time. Right. Okay. So that such that like for those of you who spend a lot of time worrying about it, I want you to take a deep breath and understand I have spoken to the leadership of the largest, some of the largest agencies in the state. All of them have said there are zero plans for that and we don't want to do it. So no, that's that's the like underlying. Right. Most likely we won't have to even reflexively get into that fight. Right. Second, the Utah FOP, like the national FOP, like many other institutions in this country, including here locally, the LDS Church, have said we encourage you to get the vaccination mm-hmm. because of the, especially in the policing environment, we have lost officers from this state right. and across this nation in, in great numbers. And that we expect you to take great risk in this job and to also, where possible, protect yourself from that risk, right? right. We ask guys to wear vests in 106 degree, 80% humidity heat in Austin. I just got back from there. It's incredible what they deal with. Um, are you telling me that a vest doesn't have certain health outcomes? I think it does. Is it uncomfortable? Could you die of dehydration? You certainly could. We're still going to require you to do it because of like, I expect you to be able to go into a gunfight, take a round in the chest and still get your buddy out. Right? right. So I'm asking you to take those physical risks. However, should your personal reasons for, should a vaccine mandate come down for an agency and you as a human being decide not to, uh, volunteer for that that vaccination and you face discipline like any other disciplinary action in Utah for our members we will walk beside you with your legal protection but I want that to be contextualized I want you to understand my judgment as the executive director the 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 judgment of our chief legal counsel the judgment of the president of this organization is all the same you are unlikely to prevail that doesn't mean I won't fight with you. It doesn't mean right. we won't help you along the way. Like any other time that a cop calls me on the phone and says, I need help in this fight, my the my decision matrix doesn't begin with, is it a winnable fight? My decision matrix is, are are they legally entitled to that right that they're talking to? Are you a member? And, and are you a member? And can I is there some resource I have that I can give you to make that fight easier for you? And we'll do it. And we've done it literally thousands of times um, in other uh, other uh, situations. Right, and right. This is no different. My advice to you up front is take the damn vaccine. Don't get fired, right? Should you choose to not do those two things? You're going to get disciplined and then you need to call the legal. Call the legal yeah. plan or get an attorney to, to, well, to walk it through with you. Well, let me, let me add one thing to that. Yeah, I, I'm not afraid of the vaccine. I got the vaccine. But I've got very, very close friends that feel very strongly the other sure. way. And you know what? They will not cease to be my friends. Absolutely not. They will They will not cease to. It's not even a topic where I'm going to try and convince them. No. If they don't want to. And that's that's where I see a lot of a lot of discord in the profession is when we start to separate and divide over, over whether we like the vaccine or don't like the vaccine. Right. You know, we as an organization respect the personal decisions that that we make yeah. and we'll help any one of our members through the, through the consequences of those decisions, whether they're good or they're bad. Yeah. And we'll, um, and, but what do we do before every decision? We give them the best advice we can. Absolutely. Right. And the and best advice I have, and that's why we're saying is, the, is what we gave. Yeah. It's the encourage the vaccine. I mean, and you've done, you've done plenty of, of studies. I think you're, you have a hobby of doing some research. Yeah. It's just like something on I the, do on the on side. The weekends mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, I think, 
I, my personal opinion is that the administration botched it by jumping the gun. I think that there were enough vaccines. You mean were, the presidential administration? When yes. you say administration, okay. Yeah. Oh, they, um, they had to wag the dog over Afghanistan, but yeah, taking a beat. I mean, I think there were there were enough vaccines happening happening naturally. There was a uh, uh, there was a study that uh, came out that the that those that are either vaccinated or immune mm-hmm. is around eighty three percent nationwide, and obviously at the herd immunity stage. And so all all these mandate talks and everything did was just. Really, it forced everybody into yeah. into groups and sides. I hate we can't that. allow that to happen to our profession because we right. still have to rely on each other, uh, just like everything. And we let, I mean, we let personal differences happen all the time. Yeah, you know, we have uh, we have cops that are liberal, we have cops that are conservative, we have cops that are gay, we have cops that are straight, we have cops that are religious, non-religious, all of that. This is just one of those other things that we just go, okay, it doesn't matter. We're well, still in the, it together. The, the one piece I would say it matters is we're dealing with a virus. So, like, gay doesn't catch, right? Religious doesn't catch. And so there is some, now whether you believe it or not, there is some risk to, um, un, we have friends, the friend you're talking about, has legitimate medical issues that prevent them from get, wanting to get the vaccine, but would, would likely prevent them from getting the vaccine anyway. We have unvaccinated folks out there who through no choice of their own. So when somebody does make a choice to get vaccinated or unvaccinated, there are community level effects of that so i i get it i 100 percent agree with you that we're not going to let this divide us it's the thing that bothers me the most about the mandate is it collapsed a, a relatively nuanced conversation into two camps yeah. and i refuse to be in either one right i was um i just did an interview with uh, washington post because i may not be able to speak to every covid study that's out there there's thousands of them but i did i am the author of one of them the only study to study what happened when the vac- when a vaccination for COVID came into a police department. No one else has studied that. I have. I've published it. And so I, I know firsthand what that data says. And that data says that it drove infection rates to zero, that the department was able to go from a rolling average of 15 to 20% of their officers in quarantine at any given time down to zero in quarantine at any given time, which re- which in turn gave manpower back to the agency so to take some of the pressure off the guys who are working 14, 16, 18 hours of overtime a week. And that I know can only be helpful for the well-being of those other officers. And they all get Microsoft Windows inside their eyelids. Yeah, now <laughs> they have instant access. It's incredible. Like it just Chrome <laughs> runs right in the back. Yeah. I get HBO for free now. So it's crazy. So I, how, I, I know, how is that accomplished? It was accomplished through organizationally just principles. And that's thanks for spurring that, because that's the key here. The key is that this is a leadership issue to me. This is another example of how good leadership can make or break issues within within agencies, can make or break the success of policies. It's not enough. If you think about the mandate as this like blanket policy just coming down and landing. Right. That's one way to sort of get compliance, but it's going to like spark what we've seen already, which is this natural sort of American liberty reaction where it's like, oh, well, but what about this? What about that? What about this? Instead, the agency that we study, which was right, I'll just say it because we we actually identify the department, it's Salt Lake City PD, right? And they were able to, um, from a high level of leadership, they were able to do some really good things. They, they, number one, they put up an open data window, essentially, into what was going on with COVID infections in the department. So, so officers could see right away, 
how many are out every single day because of infection and or exposure, right? And quarantine, the associated quarantines. The leadership went out and they held meetings. Yes, even with graveyard guys, even in the middle of the night to sit down with them. This is month. This is going on for months before the vaccination became available to hear about their concerns, to answer where they had information and to admit where they didn't have information. And then they paid them. They, when, when the vaccination finally became available, they paid them to come in right for that time. And then you, at the end of all that, you know what happened? Over 70% of them got the vaccine immediately. And then in the following week, I think they got another 10%. So they ended up around 80% within that first week or two period. And they did that without a mandate. And so my question back to the mandators is like, look, is the juice worth the squeeze here, right? So you had 80% vaccination rates plus those who had some sort of um, attained immunity through infection itself. So like we're in in some high numbers. And, and like now you're going to bring a mandate in and even people who volunteered for the vaccine resent the mandate. Yeah. Right. So I, in, in my conversations with this on this with policymakers, the public and police, all three categories, I, I, I continually point back to are you treating the officers like human beings? Are you answering their questions? Are you treating them like something more than machines that you can just tell what to do and push a button? Right. Treat them like the human beings they are with the concerns that human beings have. Do your very best to lead them through that. And then at the end of it, you'll get pretty high compliance is my experience um, right. with this. The mandate thing just collapsed this whole thing well, they overnight. Gave, they gave up on choice at a time that yep. I don't think they had to. Mm-hmm. So good conversation. Was there anything? I, I soaked up some time there, Jax. No, I think uh, I think that ends it on a, on a pretty good note. I mean, it's uh, uh, I think in the end. The message to our members needs to be needs to be clear. Mm-hmm. We, as an organization, encourage the vaccines, but please consult consult your medical provider right. and and get their input and advice. Um, and we will, regardless of what your what your choice. Is. Look, if you get the if you get the vaccine and you have negative effects from it, and let's say you were mandated by your department to get it, well, guess what? In my opinion, your department owns you, yeah, and owns whatever ails you after that point. Yeah, I agree workers with that. comp. Yeah, yeah, workers comp and we will fight that battle too. No matter what side of the this battle that you're on, we're all in it together and we've got your back either way. Yeah. And hopefully we can collectively take that same same approach with uh those on our shift, those in our agencies, uh even those in our families. Yeah. And and remember and honor <clears throat> as you're thinking through that the officers who will lost lost their lives. If we're at 600, that's 10 times the amount of, of police officers who were killed on 9-11, right? And we honor that sacrifice. And some great officers of that. Yeah. And and we we deserve more, or the issue issue deserves more attention than mere partisanship or slipping right into one side or the totally. other. Yeah. Um, it's too important to get wrong. Um, and there are middle paths. Like, I think that's the thing that frustrates me on on any political issue these days is the fact that it becomes a political issue. I don't think of the vaccine really as a political issue to me. It was a question of, like, personal safety and family safety and what I want to see our community. But boy, did it ever go that way. It's insane that it does. Like, if you think about just overnight how one I I remember from the 2020 presidential campaign as the as it became um, 
apparent that the vaccine might actually launch prior to the election. You had both our current sitting president and his running mate at the time express doubts about oh, the vaccine. I, Kamala straight up <laughs> said she doesn't trust it and wouldn't take it. Right. And and then we flip. Ta-da. ta-da. We have an election. And like, ta-da, now the other party is, is against it in, in terms of uh, partisanship. And it just drives me nuts. Like, this is we're better than this. My profession's better than this. I'm better than this. And my organization's better than that. And so I will... Um, Leave it there, but uh, the I appreciate the input that you guys gave, especially the the, the sort of legal um, side of this. Is, I think is is super important. So love you, Ian. Didn't didn't mean to say I'd punch you in the face. No, it actually, my, I've seen pictures of it's what weird. My to people that got harder. I don't know why. Wow, I think it's just probably go. the shirt. Probably just it, the shirt. There we imagine. go. Okay, I'm wearing a boys' medium today, so <laughs> I like to show up looking good for you. That's a boys. Yeah, okay. yeah, boys' medium. Uh, Shout out to um, all the officers working the events of last night down in Southern Utah. From my, I wasn't there, obviously, um, but my understanding is that the the there was immense professionalism, and I know that in a lot of places it would not have turned out as well either for the officers or in this case the suspect. And so, putting yourselves in great great harm, um, jumping on a helicopter in the middle of the night to go um, go jump into a, an ongoing firefight is is a hell of a thing to do, um, and I know the people on that um, helicopter, and they. Did. I wish it was a helicopter. I think it was probably a biplane. <laughs> Not sure. Oh no, I'm talking about the uh, the team. Oh, the guy, this JSOG. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was like, do we have a helicopter? Yeah, think about <laughs> think so about excited. it from their perspective. Like yeah. you're just at home. One, you know, you're just yeah. at home. Call comes in, like, hey, yeah. something's going on oh, in another right. part of the state. Can and you they go roll. handle it? And they roll. And um, they're no joke. Those guys are serious yeah, business. They are. So yeah. great work. Great work. And we've uh, we've had, and I know we're going off the air here, but you know, probably what is it, six OISs in six weeks. I know it's been busy. And um, anyway, just uh, very impressed by the overall professionalism of yep. all involved. So Utah police continue to uh, impress, and many of those, if not all of them, are FOP members. So thanks for being a member of uh, our organization. Yep. I'll leave it there. We'll see you on the next round. Um, of the covered podcast thanks goes out to spencer and uh, the podmill crew for showing up and helping us sound good every single time so we'll see you on the next episode thanks